Welcome back, listeners, to another fantastic episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We have a fantastic episode for you. We just saw this production, and we're so excited to have the guests we have. Joining us, we have the director, McKenna Masonheimer, who is directing the current production by New Place Players, Othello, which is running February 4th through 25th at Casa Clara, which is at 218 East 25th Street. And I can't sing the praises of this production enough. This was an experience that was amazing. So McKenna, welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Andrew. Seriously, last night was amazing. We've been talking before we started from the word go. Unfortunately, I showed up late, but from the word go, when I walked in, the space was incredible. The performance was incredible. The music was incredible. I wasn't expecting any of this. And, you know, of course, it's a Shakespeare tragedy, so it's you know, a good three-hour show. And I was hanging in there the entire three hours, and I could have gone, we could have gone three more hours. I mean, it, oh my God. it was amazing. So for our listeners maybe who aren't as familiar with Othello, and of course, with this newer production, can you tell us a little bit about the show? Sure. So The Tragedy of Othello by William Shakespeare is the story of a Black man. He was formerly enslaved and he's worked his way up in Venetian society to become a general. And he marries Desdemona, a white woman, the daughter of a senator. And he is set to, he is dispatched to Cyprus to protect the interests of the Venetian state. And so he's just a great man in love who does his job very well, but he's surrounded by people who are jealous, who want what he has, and who do not wish for him to succeed. And so then his right-hand man, um, Iago, devises a plan to cause his downfall. And it's a really difficult, it's a really difficult story. And one that was written a long time ago, but I still see stories like this happen um, today. I, I completely agree. And, you know, looking at the number of, of um, different roles uh, in the mm. production part of it that mm. were involved with this, I put, applying modern issues, modern, modern events to the story, I was like, holy cow, it's incredible how this piece that was written what 600 years ago 500 mm-hmm. years ago it can mm-hmm. still be so relevant the the prejudices that that come about mm-hmm. all because he is different there's yeah. no reason why they should be prejudiced towards him and yet mm-hmm. simply because he is different mm-hmm. exactly and this isn't the story of a french person in italy um, that'd be very a very different story if 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 a fellow was a, a white man and rising up in society and people were just were jealous or wondered what he had at the core of the really horrendous actions that the other white characters choose is their racism, which they very clearly voice. It's not it's not so hidden, and it's especially evident when he's out of the room. And so, just that horrible, ugly truth of racism lies at the core and then all of their actions spring from that. And I mean, like I said, we still see this today. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
and things haven't changed that much. And I just hope that things change. I hope that things continue to, to get better. Yes. I mentioned that this is a, an experience. This is a whole immersive mm-hmm. feels like experience. The, mm-hmm. the performance space in which you have the show being done at feels like a living room, an entire living room of an estate. You have a three-piece musical ensemble that provides this beautiful underscoring. Essentially, the audience is in chairs uh, against the wall around the room. How did you come up with the idea for this production? Our artistic director, Craig Bacon, with our music director and our general manager, uh, Flavio Gaete, they were searching around for spaces. So we already had the production, we already had the actors, and then they were looking for spaces. And New Place Players often goes into unique found spaces and makes them a theater space. They really can transform an area. And so I believe Flavio found this listing, and I'm, I'm here now, and it's <laughs> I, I love being here all the time. There's just antiques and art everywhere covering every inch, so many rich textures and patterns. And so it's an old foundry. And I don't know, it's, I don't know how many feet high it is, but just soaring ceilings, huge skylights, balconies on either end that make for excellent playing space, big wooden beams up top, wood floors. And then all of the like plaster casts on the wall are original from the foundry. So they just add such amazing texture and and interest to the space. And I don't know, it feels like a Shakespearean space. It feels a bit Elizabethan. So I think once they, you know, once they saw the space, we really saw what we could do as far as stripping some things away, bringing some colors in, just the actors in their costumes in this space. It's just all blends together so well. We now have joining us, along with McKenna, the cultural competency consultant, Ian Field-Stewart. Hello, Ian. welcome. Hi there, my love. I'm so sorry for my lateness. Oh, you no, you are totally fine. I'm so glad you're able to join us. We were just talking about putting the show together and we were diving into developing the show in this beautiful space. So McKenna, I'm gonna stick with you for a little bit on this part. What was it like developing the show? It's been a long development process. Um, We've been, we started with a workshop um, May 2022, and then we were in Craig's apartment. <laughs> um, so we sort of started in a home, right? So that, I think that helped us transition into this space because we weren't necessarily in a black box or in a blank white rehearsal space. We were in a home working off of that environment and bringing the show into this space just sort of inhabiting it and inviting the actors to use everything on the walls to communicate with was just it was so it was great it was great it was great moving from Craig's apartment sorry they're yelling they're rehearsing it was great moving from Craig's apartment into this space but it came with a lot of challenges it came with you know figuring out sight lines in the space like all the I don't know normal logistical issues yeah, and why don't we bring you in on this? What has it been like developing this, this show, especially today in this modern age? This powerful show that, as, as McKenna and I had, were talking previously, it doesn't seem like a dated show at all, the message. And unfortunately, the treacherous, you know, uh, microaggressions still exist. Yeah, for sure, definitely. I think that 
it's exciting to be uh, doing a production of Othello now because a lot of what we like to talk about in our director's note, um, just that Elizabethan racism is still the racism of today. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's as, as someone who went through, you know, the traditional route of, you know, theater and musical theater and studied the classics through the perspective of a mainly white teaching facility and faculty and a mainly white student body, you really have this experience of um, being told, being sort of told all about this fabulous world that really doesn't have anyone that looks, loves, or lives like you in it. And so to be able to take a show that almost highlights that experience of being the one in the room and transforming it in such a way that you understand the true tragedy that it is to, you know, um, I think that it takes the idea of Black excellence, of Black exceptionalism specifically, the idea that we as Black people want to move into these spaces. As Martin Luther King Jr. said, you know, that I, I fear that I have integrated my people into a burning building. And so I think that this show shows what integration into that burning building really looks like for Black folks who exist and live in predominantly white spaces. Oh, I love that. You know, it's, it's very interesting as I was watching the show last night and I was thinking about the works of William Shakespeare, I couldn't think of another work off the top of my head that had a person of color, particularly as a main character. This is the only, yeah, work that has a main character or a, t- or a title character. Right. And I, I think that, for, but, but for those of us who have studied Shakespeare, like we all have you know, our specific person, right? Or our specific people who it's like, there was this production and there was this production. Mm -hmm. And so I think that Othello is that piece that sort of invites us to examine that, that it's like, when we talk about, oh, well, actually these characters are, when we're working in the process, I I talked to the cast about my belief and kind of the fact that Shakespeare, one of the things I think makes him such a, um, a playwright that we can continue to love is that he truly observed. He didn't really dictate. This play about Othello is not meant for white people to come and receive an education about um, how to do better. It's just to exam, like it is to observe, this is what happens. And so because Shakespeare was such an observational playwright, it really allows his work to be so such fertile ground for a director's interpretation, for a com- an artistic company's interpretation. And that's why his work can continue to be done so many times because he's not really saying an opinion that can become outdated. He's just saying, this is what happened. And so these very human themes get teased out over time. And so actually we can have many people of color, many black folks who exist in the world of Shakespeare. It's just now we have to examine why those stories aren't told. And, you know, I don't think we have to examine too hard to understand why. I love that. I That is so brilliantly put. Thank you for sharing that. That leads me to my next question, which is what is the message or thought then that you're hoping audiences will take away? Kenna, why don't I kick it back to yeah. you first for that? Totally. So in my direct in my director's note, I mentioned that um Elliot Johnson, our Othello, I think he put it perfectly when he came to me one day and said, This is a documentary, sort of what Ian was talking about. Shakespeare was documenting what he saw in his time. And I feel like that's what I'm trying to do with the show as well. This is this is the life of a black man in a world that um, is just working against him, and I hope that people come and they see and they bear witness and they're made uncomfortable and they think about, huh, that person just said that. Have I said things like that? Have I done things like that? Have I witnessed things like that? 
I want people to see Othello's love and his commitment to integrity. And he plays by the rules. He plays by the rules of the system and they constantly change up the rules on him. And it leads to his downfall. Ian, what about you? Well, obviously I want whatever the director's vision is to be uh, to come to fruition. A lot of my work as a cultural competency consultant is to be more focused on um, behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And the kind of the, the guiding principle I've tried to create for us is to create dangerous art in safe spaces. And so my intention with this show is to create an environment backstage that can ripple on stage. And I think that truly great art can happen in spaces where actors and um, artistic company members can feel safe to go to the depths of the soul. You know, that is really what we, that's why we still come to see live theaters, to see people explore the depths of their soul in front of us and to play it out. And so the deeper they can go, the more exciting the work becomes. And truthfully, I don't think that anyone, I think that many of the old models of theater indicate kind of that we should just bury our heads and ignore, you know, not try to um, rock the boat too much. And I very much disagree because I think that our, our society has changed just as far as what we all have a common definition for now. You know, while, while white people may not be as dedicated to the, fr- in, uh, with the fervor that they were in 2020, um, mm-hmm. I remember what they said and I intend to keep my, all of my receipts so that if anyone attempts to backslide, as is the habit of civil rights and social justice movements, we have something to point back to and say, no, 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 remember? Remember back in 2020, you said this was important to you. So guess what? Now it is. And so that's at least my hope that we can do with this piece is just to remind people that the conversations are happening everywhere. And more importantly, the action is happening everywhere. This has been a wonderful company to work with because they have been willing to change. Mm -hmm. They've been willing to grow. They've been willing to take a complete redirection and and to put their faith into that process. And I think that it pays off. And hopefully the work that we will continue to do as an ensemble and as a creative company will will continue to uh, deepen the work that we're creating here. So this show is is constantly enriched, not necessarily by trying to find the right blocking or the right words, but now trying to find the right heartstring that keeps us all connected to the work. So rounding out this first part of the interview, I want to close by asking, who do you hope have access to the show? And Ian, I'm going to stick with you for the first part. Of- oh, McKenna, if you're no, ready, you're, yeah, yeah, you're, let's, let's see you first. first so I thought that children, first of all, we had youth from, I believe, The Door come in to our final dress and they watched the show and we filmed the show and that was so exciting to have that energy here. And then we have a lot of, well, I'll say we have several schools who are interested in, yeah, coming in and seeing seeing performances. So I'm really looking forward to those. I want I want a really diverse audience. I want a lot of black folk. I want a lot of people of color. But it's a really hard show. And I I speak in my note about watching our traumas play out on stage. We understand. Black people understand this story and this experience because we live it. So we don't need to be informed or be educated about what's going on. And then I, you know, as far as for our white audience members, I said earlier, I hope that they come and they see and they bear witness to what still continues to go on in the world today. And then I'm really excited that we will be having rush tickets. So if we happen to have any extra seats on a night, come to the door. I believe they're like 39, 39 bucks. And then we every night we have stool seating uh, for 29 bucks. So I'm hoping that those prices are, are 
pretty accessible. And I'm hoping that we can just, oh, you know what? I'm just remembering one of our first previews, I had um, a mom and her young daughter come up to me and it was like her first theater performance that she had ever seen. And so that's what really excites me. So yes, hoping to have a pretty diverse audience. I'm super excited for the youth to come, who come to see this show and hoping to keep it as accessible as possible financially with the staggered prices that we have. And shifting it back to Ian, who do you hope have access? Yeah, I, mean, I think I think there's a lot of crossover in our desires. Um, I think that I'm, I'm I'm very interested in Black folks coming to the show who are feeling lost in a predominantly white space, wherever that may be, whether it be at work, whether it be mm. at home, in some cases, uh, whether it be in educational institutions, wherever it may be that you get um, Black folks who feel like they have to be exceptional, who um, are asked to um, work three times as hard to get half as far. Any of that, and any anyone who is like that, I want to be able to see the show because I think that it's important to have the reminders that you know these spaces that weren't built for us are often very dangerous for us as well, no matter how comfortable we may find ourselves. I also, I also am interested uh, in seeing what young people have to say about this show and how they are experiencing it. Shakespeare feels like a very interesting entry point into a lot of very adult conversations because there's a way to sort of like, it's both incredibly accessible language and because that's just how he wrote while also uh, being very poetic and kind of mystical so that I feel like you kind of fade in and out as far as like your understanding of a piece. Mm -hmm. And I think that for a generation that is that, you know, focus and, you know, long extended periods of time to be focused is not as a difficulty. I think that Shakespeare is a good, a good play to watch because you can kind of fade in and out of your understanding and the poetry allows you to kind of float elsewhere. So I think that a generation who is uh, not necessarily interested in having their attention held but is interested in having their attention stimulated and uh, encouraged. I'm very interested in that. Well, now in the second part, I want to shift things because on our show, we not only talk about productions, but we also talk about our experience in the theater. I want to let our listeners have a chance to get to know the two of you a little bit better. And I want to start by asking what shows, playwrights, or composers in the past have inspired you? And McKenna, if I can start with you on that, I would love to hear those. I grew up on pretty classical music, musical theater, Rogers and Hammerstein, Sondheim, and... Then as I got into, and then I, I also grew up um, doing a lot of Shakespeare and a lot of classic, classic plays based off of like classical literature. I don't know, I guess recently I'm really liking Katori Hall's work. I saw Ohio State Murders recently, you know, seeing Adrian Kennedy on Broadway finally was just wonderful. Yeah. That, that's a great, great list. Absolutely. Hold on, sorry. I'm doing a quick Google because I'm so bad with names. What? Who's on um, your list? Uh, so who's on my list? I would say 
Loy A. Webb is someone, the light at MCC for anyone who saw that production in 2018. I still talk about that play to this day with Mandy Manson and, excuse me, Mandy Madsen and McKinley Belcher III, who just got married actually, so congratulations to McKinley. But uh, that production was just phenomenal and I still think about it to this day. I think um, Erica Dickerson Esperanza, who wrote Oh, why is it not coming? To, oh, the name of the play is not coming to right now, but she had a production of The Public that was all about um, the Flint water crisis. Colored um, water? Colored water. Thank oh, you. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah. Colored water. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. And it was just mind-bogglingly incredible and beautiful. And Erica is a, I'm lucky enough to call her a friend. Um, she's just an amazing human being. Danny Our Loves, Two and One, which went up at Signature Theater. i think it was in 2019 it might have been around that around that time but um was another brilliant production and Donye is a phenomenal playwright an absolutely brilliant playwright and a good friend of mine I am of course inspired by those oh, oh and, and then of course Terrell Alvin McCraney Wig Out uh is one of it's one of his lesser known pieces and I think it's such a tragedy because I think it's just so, so good. And it's all about the ballroom scene or it takes place in the ballroom scene and sort of animates these characters into a Greek chorus style. And it's just, it's brilliant, brilliant, brilliant work. Um, also uh, for Terrell is also very well known for um, creating Moonlight. Mm -hmm. So another fa another fabulous piece. And my dog is named Chiron. So <laughs> I definitely, um, I definitely was inspired by Terrell's work. Yeah, uh, there, and, and the thing is like, I, 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 there are so many incredible black playwrights who are working, whose work is produced regionally. Um, I think Charlie Yvonne Simpson, who I've also had the joy of working with, who just recently pulled her show from a regional theater because of uh, the treatment of mm -hmm. a woman. Um, in a, uh, in a sexual assault situation. And I just am so proud to know Charlie and to both have been witness to her artistry as well as be witness to her character and that she is continuing to be, you know, the forefront of creating both beautiful art and art that is impactful and meaningful. I think uh, Jocelyn Bio, of course, of African Schoolgirls or the African Schoolgirls play is just effervescent. I absolutely adore her work. I think she's absolutely brilliant I, it's like I'm, I'm, I want to say all the names of these people who I get to talk to because I, I every day because I think that we are in such a um in, or I, I feel so incredibly blessed to be in a time to actually get to call these people friends to call them people that I DM on Instagram you know we are in the presence of such brilliant minds that are creating work today in the theater and I'm I'm just constantly inspired by the people that um, I get to call community and that I feel surrounded by. I'll also, you know what? Actually, I'll also say Ian Field Stewart ain't a too bad a playwright either. I got a commission at Playwrights Horizon. It's not fully written yet, but I'm doing it, girl. So you know what? I'm gonna say Ian. She a solid writer too. I haven't read it yet, so I can't comment. But it's brilliant. You know it's brilliant. Know. Stop doing that, please. <laughs> Well, that leads me to my next question, which is what's your favorite part about working in the theater? Ian, I'm going to start with you on this one. My favorite part of the theater is the, of working in the theater is the hardest part of, is the hardest thing to do in the theater, which is to actually just be an actress. I am a multimedia and multidisciplinary uh, artist. And so uh, there are many hats that I wear, but the hat that I love to wear the most is as a performer. And it's the one that I probably get to wear the least, at least right now, you know, soon that will be changing, darling. For the moment, while I do wear all of these hats, performing is still the thing that I love the most because getting to be on a stage 
and to walk out, you know, or, you know, I, during the pandemic, I, when, I, you know, the industry had disappeared and I was like, oh my gosh, am I ever going to act again? I kept on, there were like a couple, you know, there would be just in my life, there would be a couple different things that I would kind of like think back to while we were in quarantine and like, wasn't going outside, but I would like think about these certain like memories that would hold on, that I would hold on to. And one of them was the memory that I had of being backstage at, again, you know, fairly, you know, I think it was a student driven production, but it was, but they got a nice run out of it, honey, then white people had some money, hallelujah. <laughs> I just remember sitting backstage and the blue light that, you know, when that people put backstage and so that you can like see as you're walking backstage mm-hmm. and just, I kept on thinking about that blue light. And it's such a seemingly innocuous thing that gets forgotten about, but it's just such, to me, it's like that blue light and the sound of lines being set on stage to an audience that's tense with energy is just the greatest feeling in the world. And it's, and then, and then even better, possibly even better than that is to actually step onto stage and to be witnessed and to feel the character take over your body and to breathe life into that character and to see how they move that night, how they how they walk, how they talk, how they interact with others on stage, the new discoveries you get to make as an actress, all of the work that goes into making something that happens every night seem unrehearsed and yet polished. But yeah, I think that blue light is truly what I love about working in the theater more than anything else. It's just the experience of waiting in peace to do something you love. McKenna, what about you? What's your favorite part? I like that when I'm working, I don't feel like I'm working. When I'm really in it, when I'm really in the zone, in rehearsal, doing table table work, t- time just flies by and I just get so sucked into the story and relating to who I'm with. And just when you have a really good team, a really nice room, and you're all really working together to take care of this story and deliver that truth to the audience it just it's just the best feeling and then yeah hearing watching the audience and and hearing their reactions and what they're picking out and seeing how different parts touch different people I love hearing that feedback and seeing the impact that a show has it's a little hard for me to watch theater because my brain just really thinks about all the behind the scenes stuff so I'm very much more I mean I think that's why I'm a director like I really do love I love um, all the research and all the discoveries that I make along the way with a new story or one that I've done before and just working with amazing artists and a design team where through that collaboration, you're just coming together, making discoveries and making something really beautiful. Yes. We have arrived at my favorite question and I cannot wait to hear both of your answers. And the question is, what is your favorite theater memory? Okay. And McKenna, let's let's hear yours. Oh my god, this is going to get me. So probably probably the most imper- important person uh, in my life is my granddaddy, who passed in 2020. I'm so sorry. And thank you. Yeah, and he had early onset Alzheimer's, and we, as he was sort of declining, we came into the city and saw the the last revival of Les Mis. And it's, it's just funny to me because he's like this huge six foot three black man who was like in the Marines and just the toughest guy, but the sweetest guy. And I didn't even really know how much he loved Les Mis. Like he was obsessed with it. He saw every version of it. He listened, he read, well, I, I should say he's, he had never seen the live show, right? So he just, he interacted with it through those other access points. 
And so, you know, his memories was sort of in and out, but we came into the city and saw Les Mis together. And he talked through the whole performance, which usually, you know, I would get annoyed with an audience member, but he was just, he was experiencing it and interacting with it in the most amazing way. So yeah, being at that show with him and hearing him, you know, relate his life experience to, you know, the guys on the barricade and the heartbreak that some of the characters experience. And he told me, he said that that day, he was like, yeah, you can do this. You can, you can do this. You can be a part of this. And I think it, I don't know. It's like, as I, as I work with different people and as I get closer to the, the Broadway scene, I'm like, okay, he might be right. There might be something there. So yeah, just an incredible memory of seeing that show with him and really deepen the power of theater for me. That is beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, and how about you? Oh, goodness. Oh, there's so many. So the last play that I did before um, the shutdown, before the pandemic uh, started, was a play called Of the Woman. It's on off-Broadway. It was by Lily Houghton. And that was such a, it was about these women who were in the basement of our free people. And it was wild and weird and wacky and, but also brilliantly written and a lot about sisterhood and women's relationships with each other and artifice and things like that. And there was a monologue in there and now the character had not been written to be a trans character. That was just because of my own fabulousness. And so there was a monologue that was, essentially about, or at least it was for me about motherhood, but, and like the ability to have a child and what that really meant. And I think that it's originally about like a, a, a I, can't, I can't remember what the exact monologue is, is to be honest with you, but I just remember getting to say, getting to talk about motherhood in a way that um, trans women and trans femmes are really not able to very often or if ever, really, I don't think I've ever really gotten to hear a monologue or a play that explores trans women and trans femmes' relationship to becoming mothers and what that looks like or doesn't look like or how that, you know, and pregnancy specifically and what, you know, the the tragedy that we, or like the harm that we can sometimes feel or the sadness we can feel that we can't bear a child. At least I know for myself, that was my story. Being able to like really work through that on stage was so important to me. And it's funny because a lot of the work that I've been receiving or a lot of auditions and things that I've been receiving lately have featured things like that. So maybe the world is trying to tell me something, but either way, I think that that was really meaningful to have, to have a, a monologue that is transformed by my presence within it. And just by me personalizing it, to talk about what I want to talk about or what is important for me to talk about or what I, or what only I can say, I think is one of my favorite memories because it meant that I got to really be, you know? Yeah. That is also really beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Wow. I see, this is why I love my job. I get to like hear these amazing (laughs) stories and, oh, that's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Are there any other productions that either of you have coming on the pipeline? Uh, that we might be able to plug? Well, yes, in fact. Um, <laughs> I'll be performing this coming Tuesday, Valentine's Day, February 14th, at Joe's Pub in my concert, Eros, A Night of Passion with Ian and the Baddies. It is in all the media run entirely by me, been described as the best for play for any of your Valentine's Day plans. So I hope that people will come out and support the show. And it's going to be an amazing night. I'm singing Eartha Kitt and singing Betty Wright. 
I'm also singing from the producers. I'm also singing from Smokey Joe's Cafe. It's going to be an amazing performance, an amazing show. I'm really proud of it. I performed it last year in a smaller space in Brooklyn. And so to kind of get to bring it back again and to have been asked by Joe's Pub to do so is such an honor. And I'm really excited about it. So that's what's up for me. No theater on the horizon right now, but that always changes like in a day. I have some films coming coming up. So Google my name in a year and maybe, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> there'll be some films to watch. If we're talking about films. Oh, now we're on films. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, no, I just, no, I just, I just got cast in something. So I'm excited about it. Yeah, that's it. Congrats. But, but um, I can't say anything yet, <laughs> right. I can't say anything yet. <laughs> Amazing. So congratulations. Thank you. Well, this is a perfect lead into my final question, which is if our listeners want more information about New Place Players production of Othello or about either of you, or they maybe want to connect or contact you, how can they do so? Hit me up on Instagram at McKenna Masonheimer. I think the website, New Place Players, you just look up Othello, New Place Players, it'll take you to um, our website where you can purchase tickets for the show. And then if you would like to follow me, Ian Field Stewart, you can go to my website, www.ianfieldstewart.com. You can follow me on Instagram at the free activist, T-H-E-F-R-E-E-A-C-T-O-R-V-I-S-T. I'm also on other social media platforms, but Instagram is the biggest one. So Follow that one, dear, and you'll see all the announcements and all the things. And otherwise, you just sing me around. <laughs> McKenna, Ian, thank you so much for joining me today and just opening and blowing my mind and sharing this incredible production of Othello that I hope you, you both continue to sell out and that just drones of people continue to see. It really is just one of the best Shakespeare productions I've ever seen. So congrats on all the well-earned success. And and thank you for making the time to speak with me today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you enjoyed the production. My guests today have been the director, McKenna Masonheimer, and the cultural competency consultant, Ian Field-Stewart, both who are part of New Place Players, production of Othello, which is playing February 4th through the 25th at Casa Clara, which is at 218 East 25th Street. You can get your tickets and more information about this amazing production at newplaceplayers.org. And we're also going to have the contact information for both of these amazing artists in the episode description, as well as on our social media. You will definitely want to stay up to date with both of these artists. They are doing big and amazing things. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies and keep your masks on. And keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. 
You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.